Where did Jesus go when he needed some rest and renewal? Was there a place that he could call a home away from home? A place where he could go where even the disciples weren't around? It seems that he did have such a place. It was in the house of three very close friends who were all family members of one another. Mary and Martha and Lazarus were their names. And Jesus was an incredibly important presence in their lives. The reading for today describes an extraordinary event that took place in that home. So our reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. In the name of God, the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I studied for the ministry at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. And after graduation, moved with my family to Scotland for two years, where I served a church as its associate pastor. And then moved back to the United States, where I was called to be the sole pastor of a church in Hopkinton, New Hampshire. And it was a wonderful, wonderful experience to be called to that church and to have the ability to play a significant hand in guiding its future. However, as time wore on and I became more and more involved in that congregation's life and more and more involved in the wider community, my inner introvert began to step up and speak forth and said, you know, we need more time for ourselves. And it was more and more difficult to get that time. So over a period of years, I became very resistant to having to attend uh, social occasions that demanded more and more of me. On one occasion, a small group of men in my congregation prepared dinner for the entire congregation. And I received their invitation with a really mixed sense of gratitude. I thought it was so wonderful that they had offered to do this, but I really didn't want to go. I wanted everyone else to go and have fun. Thank you very much. I'll stay at home and find some peace. Nevertheless, we all went to this event. And on the night of the dinner, we walked into the parish house and could immediately feel the warmth of that environment. Not just the temperature, but the human spirit of welcome. And we were ushered into the large fellowship hall where we were met by the most astonishing sight of all the tables in that space uh, had been covered in beautiful tablecloths. There were elegant table settings. The soft glow of candlelight was on every single table. There was music playing in the background, the smell of delicious foods coming out of the kitchen. 
And when we were seated, the men who had prepared this lavish feast that evening came to our tables with beautifully printed menus. And we were simply in awe of this event. It was such a nourishing evening, so much so that I feel like I continue to be nourished by it so many years later. Jesus loved that kind of giving. And one story after another says so. There was a time when he was a guest at a wedding in a little village of Cana, and uh, horror of horrors, the wine ran out. And his mother indicated to him, you know, you should do something about this. And uh, he was a little edgy in his response. Nevertheless, at the party, there, there was suddenly the availability of over 180 gallons of new wine, more than enough to see them through the wedding. Thank you very much. And then when he was once on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, surrounded by thousands of people, it became pretty clear that there was uh, the presence of hunger in those people. And um, Jesus wanted to do something about it. A little boy came to him and said, well, I've got my lunch. I've got a little fish here, a little bread. And that small amount of food was taken and broken and blessed by Jesus and distributed and multiplied. And there were leftovers available for days. Even though the disciples of Jesus were on hand to witness these dramatic transformations, perhaps pouring out some of the wine at Cana, or doling out lunch on the day when 5,000 were fed by the Sea of Galilee. They could sometimes be strangely resistant to these demonstrations of grace. Was there something about them that could never really trust the generous display of abundance that played such a key role in Jesus' ministry? Mary McKibben Dana is a Presbyterian pastor and an author, and recently in an article for the Christian Century, she made this comment, Years ago, The Atlantic Magazine profiled Harvard University's epic long-term study of 268 men over the course of their lives. For one man's 70th birthday, his wife asked friends, colleagues, and loved ones to write him letters of appreciation. She bound them in a book, some 100 in all. When the researcher asked the man what was in the letters, he paused and got tears in his eyes. I've never been able to bring myself to read them, he said. It was too much love. He couldn't bear it. Was there something of that spirit in the lives of the disciples? When one of Jesus' disciples named Judas watched a friend of Jesus named Mary pour out a ridiculous amount of perfume on Jesus' feet, during a dinner gathering and then wipe it away with her hair, he did not say, that is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Instead, he said, more or less, what a waste. That money could have been given to the poor. And while the dissenting voice of Judas is the only one that went on record that day, it's not like any of the other disciples spoke up and disagreed with him. Judas had a point. You can't eat perfume. Well, you can, but not a good thing to do. If your stomach is rumbling with hunger, you'd prefer bread to nard. And Jesus devoted his entire adult ministry to pouring himself out in ways that healed the hurts in others, sometimes providing bread for those with rumbling stomachs, 
sometimes providing a healing touch for those who ached for compassion, sometimes providing a story for those who longed for a vision of a holier and healthier world. But there were moments in Jesus' ministry, and I think for the most part, we brush past them, when he was as much an advocate for beauty as for anything else. It was Jesus who said, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet they are arrayed with more beauty than King Solomon in all of his glory. It was Jesus who took time to step away from the daily grind of reaching out to other people or being contacted by them in order to spend time at meal with friends who offered him the, the solace and the strength of companionship. It was Jesus who slept a deep and trusting sleep while he and his disciples were caught in a storm out at sea. They had to wake him up in order to do something about the storm. I think that Mary of Bethany, a close friend of his, got his message that sometimes the best way to serve the world and care for others is to be a reminder of beauty. That's exactly what Mary was doing when she took one pound of perfume and anointed his feet, massaged his feet with her hair. What a moment, intimate, sensual, lavish, aromatic. Now Judas seems to have been the kind of person who was afraid that somewhere, someone in the world was having a good time. Had he been with all of us who were gathered in that fellowship hall many years ago in New Hampshire, he probably would have leaned over to someone and said, I wonder how much this cost. Well, Jesus responded to Judas, leave her alone. You will always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. Now, sad to say, that single sentence has often been misunderstood to mean that since there are always great conditions of poverty, there are always impoverished people in the world, no great urgency needs to be attached to caring for them or changing the circumstances that impoverish them. As if to say, since there are always people living in destitute conditions, we'll get around to caring for them when we can, when we have the resources, when the time is right for us. Jesus was never urging complacency with those words. He was rather underscoring the truth that as long as there is poverty in the world, we will be called upon to address and change those conditions, and we will also be called upon to add grace and harmony and flair to the world, sometimes by caring for those closest to us, as Mary did for Jesus. Henry Beston had an eye for beauty, and at one stage of his life, he lived for a year at Easton Beach in Cape Cod, recounting his experiences there, keeping a careful observation of all of the beautiful natural occurrences there from day to day. And in the little book that he wrote about that experience called The Outermost House, he said, the world is sick to its thin blood, by the way, he was writing in the early part of the 20th century, for lack of elemental things, for fire before the hands, for water welling from the earth, for air, for the dear earth itself underfoot. I wonder if that statement has ever been truer 
especially when the things in our hands these days are for the most part technological devices that may be beautifully designed but can never give us that feeling of grace, the warmth of aliveness and natural freshness that we long for, best and new that we long for beauty and it's in the world of nature all around us. I feel so fortunate to be part of a church community where the entire campus is a gift of beauty. The elegant simplicity of the art architecture in our sanctuary is refreshing. I often come in this space when no one is here just to breathe, just to feel my spirit expand and open up. Over the years, our Le Beaux Art Gallery has provided a wonderful venue for artists of all kinds to be able to display their art to add and enhance beauty in the lives of those who look at that art and appreciate it. The flowers that adorn this sanctuary that are so often visible in our recordings, the gift of Susie Simpson, one of our members, these are a kind of visual choir adding an element of beauty to our messages. And the campus itself, all eight acres of it, is an invitation to consider the world in ways that bring peace. Because Susan and I live on this campus and it's our home, we so often see people come to it to walk, to sit, to sketch, sometimes just to stand beneath the stars in the evening. Makoto Fujimura, who wrote a book called Culture Care, reconnecting with beauty for our common life, said, culture care is to provide care for our culture's soul, to bring to our cultural home our bouquet of flowers so that reminders of beauty, both ephemeral and enduring, are present in even the harshest environments where survival is at stake. At a time of war, with the threat of climate change always in the background, it can be hard to think of beauty as an indispensable element of life. But this is exactly the time when we do, want to do not want to lose contact with those elemental things, as Henry Beston described them, those things and practices about our lives that bring beauty to us or by which we bring beauty to other people. Mary Beth of Bethany, is a reminder that we need different kinds of nourishment for the body as well as for the soul, for the mind as well as the spirit. So even as we raise funds to support Ukrainian refugees, even as we pray for peace and prepare for the possibility that Ukrainian refugees may be coming to the United States in search of home, this is also a time to celebrate those moments when beauty comes up unexpectedly invites us into a, a different world, a world of wonder, asks for our attention, offers to nurture us. I thought of these, this exact kind of moment when recently I saw on YouTube uh, a clip of a young girl, a Ukrainian girl by the name of Amelia Anasovich, singing her national anthem, I believe at a refugee center at the Polish border. Here's a little girl in an unexpected moment in some ways, offering to the world the beauty of her voice and the sound of singing and all the transformative power that comes with music. Who knows how the spirit will prompt us to do something outrageously beautiful for another person or our community or the wider world. When we do feel that subtle stirring, 
All we have to do is say yes. The Spirit will take care of the rest. Amen.